Good morning, and welcome to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. Today is Saturday, August 6, 2022, and we are broadcasting live from Jefferson Park in Chicago. And uh, we are, uh, we'll be we're here for the next hour. You can visit us online at thechristianfaith.org. And uh, you can reach us by email at notes at thechristianfaith.org if you have any questions or comments about the Christian life. And uh, so I uh, also want to mention a couple of other things. This, uh, of course, last week, as we uh, mentioned, we were at the Jefferson Park Fest in Chicago, and that was a wonderful time. In um, this coming week, we are going to be at Edison Park Fest, which is uh, just a little farther up Northwest Highway. That'll be on Saturday and Sunday next weekend. Uh, I think the hours are from noon to 10 o'clock on each day. And uh, we'll have that information up on our website later today. So um, we hope you can come out and visit us uh, there. And uh, uh, we always have a very good time when we go to these festivals. a really good opportunity to talk to people about the Lord and present the gospel. And... Uh, so we hope we can see you there if you're there for Edison Park Fest. And, of course, Monday night now we have our Bible study at uh, the meeting hall of the Church of the Chicagoans, and that's at 5518 West Gettysburg Street in Chicago. And you can find out uh, the current information about that, again, on our website, thechristianfaith.org. So this week we want to continue to consider the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. And, of course, it's also recorded in... Mark chapter 4 and Luke chapter 8 because there's so much in this parable uh, to help us see what it means to grow spiritually and also about the preaching of the gospel and the nature of the gospel. Now last week we went through it in a tried to go through it uh, in in a verse by verse way. Of course you only have so much time so we had to go through it pretty quickly. So this week what we want to do is just focus on, on the key points in this a marvelous little parable, and uh, and try to bring those out. If you're listening to this and later on the podcast, I'd encourage you to uh, pause the audio here and open your Bible to Matthew 13 verses 1 to 23, and uh, read the parable. Excuse me, uh, get a little uh, something in my throat. I'm not, but read the parable and. Uh, uh, just to familiar, familiarize yourself with it, because we're not going to be going through it uh, verse by verse today. Instead, like I said, we're gonna, what we're going to be doing is hitting the, the key points uh, in this parable. And, uh, of course, when the Lord gives this parable, at the, at the end of the parable, he cries out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so we want to be those who can hear what the Lord is really speaking in this parable. So we'll begin this morning just with, with a little prayer to that end. Lord, we just thank you for this marvelous parable you've given us in your word to show us about our spiritual growth and about the preaching of the gospel. Lord, grant us ears to hear. Make us those who really can receive your word in a good way and grow and produce fruit for your sake and your glory. Shame the enemy, Lord, how we need your protection, the covering of your dear blood, your anointing, even to bring forth something from this parable for your sake and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I say, we just want to cover the key points in this parable. And the first key point, when you read this in Matthew chapter 13, verse 3, is uh, it says, the Lord says, Behold, the sower went out to sow. You know, when we come to the word, it's so easy just to take things for granted 
And I took that statement for granted until I, I was getting into this. And I just really appreciated it. When I considered that, the sower went out to sow. And of course, the sower here is the Lord himself. Ultimately, you could say his preaching the gospel on the earth or his preaching through those whom he sends to, to minister his word and to preach the gospel. But why does the sower go out to sow? I should say, why does the sower go out? He goes out to sow. He's sowing something. And that's a key point. That's the first key point. The Lord came to sow something into us. Of course, he's sowing into the earth. And the earth here is our humanity. Specifically, it's our heart. And so the Lord came so he could impart something into our hearts. Now, this is the key parable, really, in all four Gospels, to show us what the Gospel preaching is all about. And we have to be clear, the focus of this parable is not the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins is including in, included in the Gospel. But we always tend to focus on that. But the Lord, from the Lord's standpoint, that is not the focus of the Gospel. The focus of the Gospel is the fact that he is imparting something into human beings. Now, for that to happen... You need the forgiveness of sins. You need for us to be justified and cleansed so God can do that, so a holy God can put himself into us. But the Lord's focus is always on this seed getting into humanity. Really what he's sowing, he's sowing himself. Of course, he is the word of God, John tells us. In the beginning was the word, ultimately. He's sowing himself as the word, as the life, as the spirit into humanity. That is why the sower went forth to sow. So that's the first key point in the, uh, in the parable of the sower. We have to have a clear view. The purpose of, the, of his going forth is to sow himself into humanity. And that's the focus of this parable. It's, so he's not simply talking about how we can have our sins forgiven. He is seeking to produce something in humanity by sowing himself as the word of life, as the seed of the word into our being. Praise the Lord. And, and so uh, it's so easy for us to focus on the, the objective aspect, but that's not the, uh, the focus here. The focus is the subjective work the Lord wants to do in our being in the gospel. So that's the first key point. The second key point, and again, it's, it's, it's so easy to take these matters for granted. The second key point is how does the Lord and his life get into us? And that is he comes into us as a seed. Again, it's right there on the surface of the parable, but, but we just need to consider it and make sure we really appreciate what this is saying. The, when the Lord comes into us, his work is not completed. His work is just beginning. That seed has just gotten into us. There's a long process for that seed to go through to grow and develop and produce fruit, just like... Just like um, uh, in the earthly realm, when you when you sow a seed, it takes time for something to grow up and produce, sometimes a very long time, sometimes years before you can really have fruit from that seed. And that's the picture we need to appreciate here. The Lord comes into us as a seed. Now, there's two sides to the Lord's work. In terms of the objective aspect of the Lord's work, the for, which has to do with the forgiveness of our, of our sins and our cleansing and our standing before God, that's complete. Yes, that's once for all. That aspect, the objective aspect of the Lord's work is complete. But the subjective aspect, which means what God wants to do in our being to produce something of himself within us, that's a lifelong process and it's only begun. So the sowing of the seed is not 
the ending of the Lord's work. It's the beginning of the Lord's work in our being. And I know some believers um, may feel frustrated because they just feel, you know, uh, they, they get saved and they might, sometimes when you have that initial salvation, there's a real dynamic experience of the Lord's love and his grace and his spirit. Uh, and But then things calm down and you just uh, don't sense that uh, there's a lot going on. Well, it takes time. Don't be frustrated. Realize it takes time for this seed to grow and really develop and produce fruit. We need to be exercised before the Lord. We may frustrate the growing of the seed, but it's it's hard to speed it up. It simply takes time, so don't be frustrated by that. But we need to have a clear view. My salvation was not the end of God's work in me. It was just the beginning. There's a lifelong process I have to go through so that seed can grow and develop. So that's the second key point. The seed needs to grow and develop. Now that's from our side. The third point is related to this which is when the sower sows something, that means he is expecting that something is going to be produced from that seed. So the Lord has an expectation. When he sows himself into us, his expectation is that that seed is going to grow up and produce a crop, produce fruit unto God. He's expecting for that. He's looking for that to happen. So from our side, we need to realize uh, I need to produce something. And on the, from the Lord's standpoint, we should be very clear. He is expecting that seed to produce in us. So in other words, we simply can't, we can't afford to simply be dormant, uh, to simply not uh, be exercised before the Lord to produce something. He is expecting something to really come forth from within us, from this seed that he has put into our being. He's expecting a crop uh, to be produced. Uh, that's, why he di- that's why he goes out and he sows. So that's the third key point. Praise the Lord. Now, the fourth key point is is more sober. Uh, And this is something, we're going to spend a little more time on this, a very sober matter, which is what we see in this parable is that it's possible that a saved believer may not produce the fruit the Lord desires, the fruit that he's looking for. So we want to look a little bit at the parable itself. Now, there's different ground. What we see in this parable is that there's different grounds. And the first ground uh, that the seed fell upon, it says some uh, fell beside the way and the birds came and devoured them. And so that's a person who doesn't get saved because before the seed can get into their heart, because their heart is by the way, that soil is very hard. It can't get in. And so the birds come and take it away. That refers to Satan's work, as the Lord makes clear later on, uh, to take the seed away from our heart. So that's not a saved person. But the second person is a saved person. It says, uh, here's the second one. Some fell on stony places where it did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. So this is talking about a saved believer because the seed does get into the soil here and it grows and it produces something. It doesn't produce fruit, but because the, so- the seed is in the soil, it's something is growing up. And when the Lord explains this later on in Matthew 13, uh, it's verse uh, uh, 20, Matthew 13, 20, he says, He who received the seed on the stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. So this is a person who's received the word. 
You know, John uh, 1, 12 and 13 says, As many as received him, to them he, begave, he gave authority to become children of God to those who were born of God. So this is talking about a saved believer. There's no way you can say this is not a saved person here because something has been produced. But the problem is the stones within the soil which signify the hard things in our heart, the rocky things in our heart, to prevent that seed from really taking root deep within us. And it could be uh, uh, we have a heart that's rebellious toward God. We could be involved in immoral things. We may have selfish, selfish ambition. Uh, every, everybody's heart is different in this regard, but we all have these stones in our heart that we have to deal with in a thorough way. Uh, otherwise, they'll prevent the seed from growing. They'll, the, the, the seed simply won't have a way to take root in us. Now, we said last week that there's really only one way for us to deal with uh, our stony heart or in the next heart with the, the next uh, type of soil we see as the thorns. And that's the way of loving the Lord. We're, we can't deal with these things by ourselves. It has to be the Lord working within us to deal with these stones, to remove the stony things in our heart and to deal with the, the thorns that spring up um, and that choke the growth of the seed. And so we need to come to the Lord and tell him, Lord, I just open to you. I just give myself to you. Even we should ask the Lord, Lord, help me to know what it means to really love you. Have you ever done that? Have you ever really sought the Lord? Lord, I have my thought about how I want to serve you, how I want to love you, what that means. Could you show me what it really means to love you? What does it mean to be a person who loves Jesus Christ? What are you looking for in me? What are the things in me that frustrate my love for you? What are the stony things within my heart that need to be dealt with? And Lord, I need your light. I need your shining to bring these things to light so I can deal with them and purge them, be cleansed from these things. And so your seed can really take root deep within me and I wouldn't be frustrated by the stony things. That requires us to be exercised before the Lord, to deal with the Lord about the rocks within our heart. And uh, so I encourage you to go to the Lord in that way and open to him and allow him to speak to you and uh, show you these the rocks that are within your heart that may be frustrating the growth of that seed within you. That's a healthy exercise, and that can really help us uh, to grow as believers in Christ. So that's one kind of soil. The next kind of soil that the Lord talks about, again, to look at the parable, it's Matthew 13, um, uh, verse 7. Some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. So the rocks and the stones are within the soil, and sometimes they're hidden. You know, in that kind of soil, there's if, when the seed falls in there with that kind of a believer, it may seem like a lot of things are going on outwardly. And, and there's and a lot of believers today, there's so much activity. But underneath, in the soil below, where nobody can see, there's not much going on. And that's the problem uh, because the hidden things are frustrating, the real growth that needs to take place in a hidden way, out of sight from what everybody else sees so that the roots develop, so that that soil can take in, uh, the root uh, can take in the water that's in the soil and the nourishment that's in the soil and grow in a healthy way. Nobody sees that, the real growth under the soil. We can see the outward activities. We can see a lot of things going on, but that may not mean very much. Many believers who are like that are going to be falling away when persecution or tribulation comes because of the word. Uh, but if we have that healthy root system growing underneath in a hidden way, we'll be okay when the persecution comes because uh, uh, we're dealing with the hidden things within us. But 
then this kind of soil here with the thorns, that refers to the outward things. And when the Lord interprets this, uh, the thorns in uh, uh, verse 22, Matthew 13, 22, he says, Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word in the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. So these are the outward things. The stones are within us, but here you have the cares of life. And it's interesting to compare the different ways that the three Gospels speak of these, these outward things. Uh, Matthew says the, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Mark says, he, 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 uh, he, he, he says that same thing. And then he adds, and the desires for other things. You know, if we're focused on other things besides the Lord, we're always going to be full of anxiety. We're always going to be full of troubles because we're seeking something outside the Lord himself. And that's going to choke the growth of the seed within us. Luke um, puts it a little differently in Luke 8:14. Now, the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and the pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. So in some ways it's similar. They all speak about the cares. But Luke adds in the riches and the pleasures of life. Well, the riches and the pleasures of life, these aren't bad things. But if we focus on these things and if they separate us from the Lord, they become bad things. Then they're, then they're thorns. Maybe they appear good to us. The Lord would say, no, they're thorns because they're choking your growth, uh, preventing you from really growing up in Christ. So, and these are the outward things that act upon the anxieties that are within our heart. The stones are within us. These cares are from the outside. So these are the two classes of basic classes of things that can frustrate us from really growing up in Christ. Uh, so we have to learn to deal with the cares of this life in a way that does not frustrate us from going on with the Lord. I mean, you can't avoid the cares of this life. The Lord never encourages us to go be a monk and just be separate, try to separate us from, from the world. That's not what he, that's not the Lord's way. We're in the world. We're not of the world. But we need to learn how to deal with all the cares of this life and manage our life in such a way that it does not frustrate us from following the Lord. Uh, to deal with even the cares, the riches, the pleasures. doesn't mean we don't have any possessions, we don't have any pleasures. That's not what the Lord's saying here. But we have to deal with these things in such a way and handle them in such a way that they don't frustrate us from loving the Lord. So, so that's the next main point. Again, just to stress, these things can frustrate us as believers in Christ from following the Lord and growing up and producing the fruit. And I know some people would try to argue that these are not saved believers. You know, the Calvinists have their teaching about the perseverance of the saints. They teach all the saints persevere. Uh, well, in a sense, that's true, but but you have to understand, not in this age. And in fact, according to this parable, it seems like the great majority of believers will not persevere. Now, as we've stressed before in this program, in the millennium, eventually all the saints will be dealt with by the Lord so that we do reach the maturity that he desires for us. But that's in the next age. This parable is focused on what happens in this age. And here in this age, the Lord is saying, no, not all the believers are going to persevere. So if you understand it in that way, then you would say the Calvinists have their teaching about perseverance. And the Lord has his teaching, which says, no, not all the saints persevere. And there's really no way to argue that. It's very clear. In this age, many saints won't persevere. In eternity, yes, all the saints will be brought to maturity. 
Praise the Lord for that. We have that assurance. Not talking here about losing the salvation. The question is, will we produce something for the Lord's pleasure and satisfaction in this age? That's the question. And the answer, very clear in this parable, is that most believers will not because they're frustrated either by the stony things in their heart or by the cares of this life, those two things. So that's the next major point, a very, very crucial point, very, very sober word we need to be very clear about. So that's to consider this parable from the standpoint of uh, our spiritual growth. But there's a couple of other points we need to consider when we look at this parable from what it shows us about preaching the gospel and how we go ahead and preach the gospel. And uh, again, a, a couple of very crucial points here. The first one is uh, regarding the sowing of the seed. And that is the the sower, in a sense, he stow, sowed the seed in a very stupid way. <laughs> Lord, cover me, right? He was he, Maybe that's not a good way to say it. He, he was very careless in how he sowed the seed. He just scattered the seed everywhere. You'd, you'd think he's sowing the seed. He would be looking for the good ground, but the sower here is just sowing the seed everywhere. He didn't care. Uh, whether it's uh, uh, by the wayside or by the on the stony ground or where the thorns were or the good earth, or good earth, he just scattered it everywhere. And that shows us in our preaching of the gospel, we should be the same way. Just scatter the seed, sow the seed, go out and preach the gospel. You know, we were, again, we were at uh, Jeff Fest last weekend. We'll be at Edison Park, Edison Park Fest. Uh, it's actually the Edison Park Business Expo, they call it. It's part of the Edison Park Fest this coming weekend. And while we're there, our, our responsibility is just to sow the seed and not to, to try to look at a person, no, this, this is good ground, because we don't know. This one's not good ground. We don't know. Who would have said the Apostle Paul was good ground when he was Saul of Tarsus? I wouldn't have. I don't think you would have either. Right? We don't know. We, we have to just scatter the seed because we don't know what's really the good ground and what's not the good ground. The Lord knows, but we don't know. So that's the first lesson. Just scatter the seed and don't try to discern um, who's good and who's not good. We don't know because we don't know. And so the second point in relation to the gospel is, again, it's, it's a more sober word. And we'll take a little more time on this. Uh, and that has to do with the enemy who always works to frustrate, frustrate the sowing of the word of God. It's very interesting to compare these three different, uh, the way the three different gospels record this parable. And you have to remember, again, the Lord was speaking probably in Aramaic. I think that's what most scholars believe, uh, possibly Hebrew. But he was speaking in one of these other languages. And then the gospel writers translated what the Lord said into Greek and put it in the gospels. So what we're reading is a translation of the, what the Lord said. And that's really something under the, Lord, the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit. Because because of that, the translators who wrote the Gospels can use different words to bring out different aspects of the Lord's meaning when he spoke. And that's what we see uh, in the way the Lord describes the enemy uh, in each of these three different Gospels. So let's uh, compare them because there's a very important lesson for us to learn here about the enemy's work. In Matthew 13, 22, it says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. So in Matthew, he's described as the wicked one. But Mark says, um, the one sown by the wayside where the word is sown, when they hear, Satan comes and takes away the word. So here in Mark, it's Satan. In Matthew, it's the wicked one. But in Mark, he's described as Satan. 
That's his name, Satan. And Luke says, those sown by the wayside are the ones who hear and the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. So you have the Lord describing the enemy here in three different ways. In Matthew, it's speaking of his nature. He's unspeakably wicked, unspeakably evil in his work to take the seed away from people. This is just, just you couldn't describe how evil this work is to, to prevent people from believing in Christ and being saved. Just an unspeakably evil, wicked work. We should truly hate uh, this, this work this evil one is doing. It's truly wicked. That's his nature. His nature is wicked and evil. That's in Matthew. In Mark, it refers to him as Satan. Well, that's his name. And this refers to the nature of his work. Because Satan, the name Satan means adversary. In terms of the nature of his work, he's constantly opposing everything God wants to do. This holy, just, loving, kind, merciful, gracious God. Satan does everything he can to oppose his work and to frustrate that work because he's the adversary against God's work. He is God's adversary. And whenever the gospel goes forth, for sure the adversary is going to go there and try to do everything he can to keep that seed from getting in. So in terms of the nature of his work, he's uh, God's adversary. In terms of who he is in himself, he's truly wicked. And in Luke, uh, again, he's referred to as the devil. Well, the devil is a title, and the meaning of that title is accuser. So this is the way by which he carries out his work. You know, Satan is constantly accusing us to God, doing everything he can to slander us to God, and he slanders God to us. He causes us to try to doubt God's goodness, uh, God's mercy, his, his heart toward us. Do you have these doubts sometimes rise up in you? Very often, that's just Satan in his accusations, doing everything he can to cause you to doubt God's nature and his heart toward you. We should never accept these lies from Satan. They're nothing but his worthless accusation. His nature is to accuse us. And of course, in um, John eight forty four, he's called the liar and the father of lies. All his accusations are a lie. Sometimes he may be talking about things that are true, but his, they still are a lie in the way he's carrying out his accusing work. We never accept the word from Satan. But when you put these three aspects of this enemy together, you see just how fierce and how ferocious is his opposition to the going out of the gospel. And we need to appreciate that. Um, D.L. Moody was probably the, the greatest, at least one of the greatest gospel preachers the church has ever known. And I appreciate, I read something he said, which is most Christians fail because they underestimate the strength of the enemy. A very, very sober word. Now, I want to say, too, here, I sent out an email on this topic this past week called The Soul and the Enemy of Souls. Uh, and that's an article now on the website, thechristianfaith.org. You can uh, uh, see that uh, right on the front page there. Uh, and if you'd like to subscribe and receive those emails, just go to our website and click on the subscribe link. We send those out usually a couple times a week. But I, uh, that email is all about this topic, and I include that quote in there from D.L. Moody. And for sure, he was one who appreciated uh, the, the strength of the enemy and how we have to deal with the enemy. And I also mentioned in that email a quote from Watchman Nee, though, because we need to be understand the real situation. Watchman Nee had a very good statement. I think it's from his book, Sit, Watch, Stand. He said, as Christians, we do not fight to victory. We fight from victory. In other words, the way we deal with Satan is by standing 
in the Lord and in the fact that Satan has already been completely defeated on the cross. He's completely cast out and completely destroyed. We can't deal with Satan in ourselves. We deal with Satan by standing in the victory the Lord has already won over him. But Satan still is working today on the earth in a very powerful way. You know, Paul says the God of this age has blinded the thoughts of the unbelievers, and it is really so. Uh, when you go out to preach the gospel, you just have more of a sense. Uh, Satan's doing everything he can to frustrate uh, the gospel preaching and causing people not to believe God's word. We have to realize, as Paul says in Ephesians, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the ruler, rulers, the authorities, the powers of darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It is really so. Ephesians 6, he says that. Uh, and so we see that opposition in this parable. And the real lesson we have to learn from that is that we face a very serious, a fierce, and determined foe. And we have to deal with him by standing in the Lord's victory. And that's the way the gospel can go forth again in a prevailing way. And, uh, and for sure, I think as believers, I hope we all have a real sense, Lord, your gospel has to go forth again in this country, in Chicago, in this metro area, in this whole country, your gospel, your word has to go forth again. So bind the enemy. We cast him out by the authority of your name. We stand in the victory you've already won on the cross. We need to have this kind of prayer in such a desperate way before the Lord. And then the gospel can go out and prevail. And so many will be saved and brought into the Lord's kingdom. Praise the Lord for that. So those are um, the key points we wanted to cover in, in the parable uh, this week. And, and that's going to do it for this uh, half of the program. Now, in the second half, we have something uh, I'm really looking forward to. We have a couple of brothers coming on from Goshen, Indiana. And one of them, Keith, is a farmer. Mark has been on the program a few times before. This is the first time Keith has been on. And he is a farmer and very, very knowledgeable about how to care for the soil. And so what we want to do is learn uh, some lessons by observing in nature uh, how to take care of soil that can show us what it means to have a healthy heart before the Lord. So we're really looking forward to that discussion, which we will begin on the other side of this break. This program is produced along with our website, thechristianfaith.org to help address the need for a healthy word of ministry among God's children today. In the Old Testament, the Lord tells us through the prophet Hosea, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Our prayer is that the Lord, by his mercy, may use the ChristianFaith.org website and the Christian Faith Radio Hour to help the believers in Christ grow in our knowledge both of our Savior and of our faith in him, so that we may stand more firmly for the Lord and for his purpose in these dark times. Visit us online for articles on the Bible and the Christian life and to sign up for our e-letter, which deals with various biblical topics. To listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website under the Media tab or directly on iTunes or Spotify. And if you have questions or comments about what you've heard on this program or on our website or about the Christian faith in general, send us a note at questions at thechristianfaith.org. May this program and the christianfaith.org website be a blessing to you in your walk with the Lord and to all of God's children for his sake and his glory. Amen. Hello and welcome back to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. Uh, and as I said, we're going to bring on a couple brothers uh, from Goshen, Indiana here in just a minute. Um, 
We can learn a lot. The Bible makes it clear. We can learn a lot from the Christian life about nature, uh, about from nature, about what it means to grow and what uh, God's nature is. And so that's what we want to do in this segment of the program. Uh, as I said, Brother Mark has been with us a few times, and uh, Brother Keith is another brother in Indiana, uh, in Goshen there, and he is a farmer with a lot of expertise about the soil. And so we're going to bring them on now, and uh, I think this should be quite, a, quite an interesting discussion. So... Uh, Mark and Keith are brothers. Are you there? Can... Yes. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay. And Keith? Keith? Yes, I'm here. Oh, great. Great. Yeah, your brothers sound great. Okay. Praise the Lord. Welcome to the program. Amen. And, and uh, yeah. I think you heard, you heard the, the discussion. You're on the line for the first part of the program, I think, right? So so yes. you picked that yes. up. Well, we're, we're really glad you brothers can be with us. And, uh, and Keith and I, of course, were talking yesterday uh, to get ready for this. You know, Keith, I appreciate you. you mentioned, I think, Job uh, chapter 12, verses 7 to 10. I'll just, just read those verses. Now ask the beasts, and they will teach you, and the birds of the air, and they will tell you. Or speak to the earth, and it will teach you, and the fish of the sea will explain to you. Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this, in whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind? So, so in this segment, what we want to do is... So to speak, we're going to speak to the earth. We're going to consider, because the parable of the sower has so much to do with the, with the earth and with the soil and the health of the soil. And so we want to find out about that by asking uh, a dear brother who is a farmer and who has a lot of knowledge about what it means for soil to be healthy. And so, Mark, if you could just do us a, uh, just take a, a minute just to in- introduce Keith to the audience and to tell us a little bit about his background. I'd appreciate it. I, I met Keith um, in the 19, late 1980s. His, I was mm. a school teacher, and his son was in the same class as my son. Eventually, they started to join our youth group. He, he joined our youth group, and eventually, our fellowship. Mm. And Keith has been a farmer since 1972. Wow! And he's been—he was a dairy farmer for 30 of those years, which means if he got up sick one day, nauseated, sick to his stomach. He went out and milked the cows. He didn't have a sick day. Wow. And that's 30 years of that. Wow. And um, he was a no-till farmer almost from the beginning. And for your audience who might not know what that means, uh, you all know what a plow is. Everyone knows what farming has to do with plowing. Well, Keith has gradually become more and more one where he doesn't plow. His plow doesn't hit the soil. Hmm. And he's been ahead of the curve in this. This is the global warming crowd really like this stuff because it, I guess, maybe I'll say this wrong, but it helps to sequester the carbon in the soil. Mm. Is that right, Keith? Yes, correct. <laughs> so he has, he's done things like that, but he does it because he really is, he, he is very interested in the health of the soil. Yeah, right. He's won several awards. He's been named the Elkhart County Conservation Farmer of the Year, and Elkhart County is a big agricultural yeah. county. Yeah. He's the Indiana River Friendly Farmer. Which means um, which means you're not getting a lot of runoff from your fields, right? Which is yes, very he does. That's yeah. yeah right. if, if you look at a satellite view of the Mississippi Delta and you see those basically a new state forming, that's runoff from bad farming practices. Wow. He does. He's not contributing to that. Hmm. And um, I I call him a scientist because Keith does actual experiments in the field, and yeah. he's shown me the results. He takes wow. core samples of soil. He shows has ways of testing the. The porousness of it, the, mm. the friability. He, this man that you're about to hear speak, knows what healthy soil is. Yeah, right. So that's my introduction to. Great. Oh, he also writes a column for a farm oh, pamphlet, wow. which is, and he speaks as a character called Walden the Worm. <laughs> and I want to say this: Keith is a worm expert. Yeah. 
and a lover of worms. So <laughs> if you don't love worms, if you're listening to this program and worms are icky to you, Keith would, would, could help set you straight. Help okay, him, take it I, away. I want to say before, sorry, just one more thing. You know, I, I would grow up in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. I was never on a farm, I don't think, until I was 45 years old. And I, I didn't until that day I got on the farm with some dear brothers down in central Illinois. I didn't. It never really dawned on me. Food does not come from grocery stores. <laughs> you know, I, I, you always have this thought: oh, you just go to the grocery store and somehow it's there. No, it's there because these farmers are getting up every morning and, and putting in the hard work to produce the food. So, it's a good experience if you can. I encourage you get out on a farm. But, but right now we're going to be talking to a, a, a farmer brother, Keith Miller. Keith, welcome to the program. Praise the Lord. Thank. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, amen. Um, first, I'd like to establish the relationship between the soil and mankind. Yeah. There's a fundamental relationship between humanity and the soil. Hmm. The Hebrew name of the first man, Adam, is derived from the word Adama, yeah. which means earth, soil. Yeah. Amen. name of Adam's wife is Eve. Hmm. This is a translation of Hava. Hmm. Hebrew for living, the union yeah. of soil and life frame, the account of creation. Wow. Adam from dust, hmm. Eve from Adam's rib. Hmm. The Latin word for human is derived from... Hummus, I think you said, right? Excuse me. The Latin word for human is derived from humus. Hmm. And this is Latin for living soil. Wow. The humus, the organic matter of the soil, is the very best part. It's the most functional. Hmm. It holds water, it holds nutrients, and it releases those nutrients to the plant. And one other point I would like to make, that God created man, but he created life, much more life than we realize. Hmm. A teaspoon of soil, or not a teaspoon, a handful of soil contains more living organisms than all the people walking on the earth. Wow. Wow. Wow, that's <laughs> and, an uh, one final point is, uh, as you understand soil and plants and the interconnection, uh, the soil and the plant are one. They're not separate. They're one. Mm. As man needs to be one with God. Mm. If not, the world is in chaos, as we yeah, see today. Really so. So. Really so, Keith. Thank now, you. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. And we were talking about these things yesterday. A very good point about Adam and Eve, and uh, and I didn't know that about that that, that word human. It's where the word human comes from. So I, that that's helpful. And I, and uh, as far as the plant and the soil being one, I, I just astounds me that somehow I, only God could do this, where uh, these these massive trees come out of. Uh, nothing but a little seed and some dirt and some water and, and other things, I guess, suppose, I suppose, the sunshine. And, but it's just amazing to me that uh, and all the fruit that we eat, uh, all the food that we eat comes out this way. It's just amazing. So, so Keith, uh, because of your experience with, with farming, with these, like uh, Mark was saying, these healthy soil practices, tell, what does it mean? What is healthy soil? What's going on in, in, in healthy soil? And maybe what lessons can we learn from that as far as, uh, can, when we consider our heart as a picture, uh, as a kind of soil for the seed, as the, the word of God to get into, uh, what makes for soil to be healthy? Okay, that would be a two-part question. First, I'll define simply what healthy soil is. Yeah. 
And that is the continued capacity of a soil to function as a vital living ecosystem that sustains plants, animals, and humans. And I think that definition would parallel somewhat closely what we desire for ourselves, for our marriages, our church life, and for our governments and world as a, as a whole. To the capacity to go on and continue. My wife and I will celebrate our 51st wedding anniversary wow. this, uh, Congratulations. this July. Wow. Say hi to uh, Lois. August, August. Yeah, praise the Lord. And <laughs> I hope it can continue on. I hope our children can rear their, their yeah. children, our grandchildren, and future children in that ability that it continues on in a healthy church life and so forth. Okay, what makes a healthy soil? Uh, it needs to have pore space. Hmm. It needs to have uh, space opened up by roots. These hmm. roots die. They leave those open spaces, hmm. provided you do not close them off with tillage. And the worms, the uh, night crawlers, they'll go from the surface down as deep as four feet. Hmm. They'll keep these burrows open. And this open space, then, is your your channels for water. Hmm. When rains come, the water can infiltrate. Hmm. And if a downpour comes later in August when your crops drastically need water, then the water can go in. The soil can receive this water and help the crops rather than simply run off. And uh, secretions of the worms, the yucky worms, <laughs> and uh, plant roots and so forth, these make chemicals and gl simply glues that hold the soil structure together mm. so that it doesn't collapse in just a solid mud mass mm. on rain. Wow. So we need to have our hearts open. Yes. If a brother says a word of the Lord, we need to receive it. Yeah. And... Um, to nourish us and, and help us to go on in our Christian life. Amen. I, I really think that's a good illustration. And Mark, I don't know if you have any feeling about that too, but the, uh, yeah. th this matter of well, having the, the holes in our heart is really, it's, it's a big deal. Yeah. It's the cracks in the, in the vessel that yeah. where the spirit comes in. And we, we think of our weaknesses as weaknesses and we don't like them when we try to repudiate them. Yeah. But actually, they allow something outside into the being. And um, so it's the holes in the soil, they allow the water, the nutrients, as Keith just said, they're even the residue from the worms. So the, it all glues the soil into this friable, beautiful picture. Mm -hmm. In our lives, we have a lot of things that, that give us, create open spaces, like yeah. you use that term, open spaces. And uh, we want to fill them up and off, sometimes we should just let the Lord fill them up, hmm. and we shouldn't we shouldn't be so afraid. I, there's you know in weakness we can be made strong. Hmm. I, 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 we need to be as believers. We need to be holy, right? Uh, in both senses. Right? <laughs> I'll play on words there, Dave. Yeah, yeah sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's like the uh, H O L Y. Yes, we need to be holy as believers in Christ, but. It really helps if we are holy, H-O-L-E-Y, full of holes. And, uh, yes. you know, you go through life and and you just get, sometimes there's wounds and uh, there's holes and, and we don't like them. There may be unpleasant things in our life, but maybe those are the worms. And again, we're just trying to draw an analogy here. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, good. and these that are opening us up, and uh, and and we may not like them, but it's a work the Lord has to do in us, so that our heart becomes healthy. And it's a way when the when the Spirit, which is likened to water in the Bible, that when the, the rain comes, we're able to receive it. Keith, like you were saying, that uh, it, the the word uh, we receive the word, and it uh, just like in farm soil, you want to retain that water. Our heart should retain that water, and it only can do that if we have those holes. Sometimes if a person, everything is going well, you know, and there's, uh, they don't seem to have any problems, it might be hard for them to have that same kind of, uh, uh, receive the same kind of benefit and blessing from the Word of God. So I, I really appreciate this picture uh, of the yeah. healthy farm soil, what that has to say about the health of our heart as well, spiritually speaking, before the Lord. And, and could I say this, yeah. too? You know, the word soil is another word we use for that, is dirt. Yeah. And the word dirt often gets a Y added to it as dirty, and it's mm -hmm. the negative. And here in this parable of the sower, it's not negative at all. Yes, it's a positive environment. Yeah, and so, yeah. it's a, you know, the Lord comes to sow himself into dirt, into soil. Mm -hmm. But it's what kind of soil? And as Keith, with his practices, and I, I, th I wish he'd talk a little bit about some of the things he does so that a lot of your listeners probably don't even know what a no-till farmer would do differently. But what are some of your practices, Keith, yeah, that allow you to you improve the soil that, say, maybe the older traditional and what other people are doing, other farmers are doing practices, are not doing? How, what do you talk about that a bit? Okay, I'll list the practices. Uh First, I'd like to make a simple statement. Back to the word humus and humanity. Humus is the soil organic matter of the soil, mm. and that has the ability to absorb water. That's spelled with a B as boy. That means water can go through every part of that humus. 1% mm. organic matter in the soil can retain 27,000 gallons of water per acre. It's wow. fully absorbed. Wow. It penetrates every part of that organic matter. Now, are you, are you, Keith, now, are you saying the humus is something different from the soil? Or it's one, humus is part of the soil. That's the, the soil. organic well, matter. It's, it's different from dirt. Okay. Humus is a... Well, a, it's, part, it's all one. It's just a, a, a... Dirt has a mineral part, part a little sand and so okay. forth. But humus, organic matter, is... A, it's whatever it's part of the soil is. also. Okay. Now, without the humus, then these fine mineral particles, like a sandy soil is more droughty. Okay, that can hold some water, but sand particles, small mineral particles, cannot absorb water with a B, a boy, that adsorbs with a D, dog. Oh. The water can only cling to the surface of those mineral particles. Mm. Mm -hmm. So we want our heart to be open so that the soil can be fully absorbed and retained more of it and yeah. longer. Okay, that, my practices. Um, okay, before you go on with that, I, just I, I, so it's the organic aspect of our of the soil that absorbs the water. So within us, if correct. we have that organic relationship with the Lord, again, just to draw an analogy here. That's when we're able yeah. to really receive the blessing the Lord right. gives us. If we yes. don't have that, yes. if it's a sandy, then we're missing that. Okay, good. Okay. Yes. Amen. Okay, very good. Go ahead. And, and let me add, yeah. when Keith pointed out to me just not too long ago that very point, absorb, the word A-B-S-O-R-B versus ad-zorb, yeah. D, 
that is very, he said, as you just heard, that the sand can absorb, it can actually coat itself with a little water, right. but it doesn't enter because it's a mineral. Right. But the friable organic soil takes it in. Yeah. And so sometimes in our Christian spiritual life, I mean, people can kind of be coated with the spirit in a sense, if mm. the water would be like spirit, mm. but it doesn't really come doesn't in. really get in, yeah. Interesting and we point, want yeah. the other. We want to be absorbing this. And the way to absorb it is to let the worms do their work, to let all those Amen. 10 billion microbiotic organisms inside that handful of soil that he talked yeah. about, let them do their work. Amen. And then we become this kind of soil that can take in, absorb the yeah. spirit. Interesting, yeah. Like okay. we're just, What we're trying to do is just to, to speak to the earth here and to let it teach us, right? Just to draw these analogies. So... Uh, just just to see exactly what lessons right. we can learn. Yeah, right. And that's again, that's Job uh, twelve eight. But Amen, uh, Keith. Go ahead. So you were gonna. Uh, go okay, ahead. the woodlots can be an example of a proper soil environment. Uh, no one fertilizes woodlots that I'm aware mm. of. They, we don't go in and plow, but yet uh, the ecosystem takes care of itself. And that soil in an undisturbed woodlot, that is the standard for soil structure. And by standard, I mean a machinist will have a, a standard by which all his micrometers would be adjusted to. The soil structure of a woodlot is the soil standard hmm. to go by. And this is done without disturbance. And all the soil life work together to recycle nutrients and make this possible. If it wasn't for the soil life, uh, how deep would the leaves be in a woodlot? You can walk through a woods in the fall, oh, the leaves are six, eight inches deep. Right. What do you see in the spring? They're gone. Mm. The soil biology and the worms wow. have digested those, recycled them back into usable plant material. Wow. So my wow. practices that I use... I do not plow. I do not do tillage. I don't own a plow. I don't own a disc. I don't own a field cultivator. <laughs> I allow the the uh, root channels of the plants to stay. I allow the worm channels of night crawlers to stay. I do not close them off. A night crawler needs, they're like you and I. They eat from the top of the table. They need their food on the surface. Hmm. They'll bring it to their hole and pull it in just slightly so it decays. That's their food source. Wow. If you do tillage in the fall, you destroy their home, you destroy their food, and eventually you won't have night crawlers. You'll have small worms, but mm. you won't have night crawlers. Wow. I try to keep the ground covered. You'll see this in nature. If someone comes into your lawn and tears up the grass, uh, grass doesn't grow immediately. First, weeds come, what we call weeds. They shouldn't be called weeds. They're the nature's scabs and healers. They'll grow, then grass will reestablish. Uh, to keep the soil alive, there needs to be something growing. Hmm. So I try to keep it uh, covered after I harvest, or sometimes even before I'll interseed a cover crop, maybe cereal rye. And this provides cover. It eliminates runoff, soil loss, and nutrient loss. And um, after wheat harvest, I'll plant maybe oh, a multitude of things, sunflowers and radishes mm. and so forth. This is to keep the soil alive mm. and to keep it covered. Mm. And another practice that's valuable 
is without plowing, I do not plant weed seeds. If there are weeds on top, I don't put those in. Uh, That will plant some seeds. Yeah, you'll cover some up with the plow and they won't come up, but overall you're planting. Now, do I have weeds? Yes. Those seeds that can germinate from the surface, I have. But I try to keep the soil covered so those weeds remain dormant. They don't grow as heartily as bare soil. Hmm. For those that do gardening, you plant green beans on bare soil, you'll have weeds. They grow with the beans, you'll haul them out, you'll have another flush of weeds. And what Mama told you, if you keep those weeds down, you won't have to hoe so much next year. That's not true. There's always weeds. You're not (laughs) going to overcome God. The greatest chemist in the world never invented a herbicide that eliminated weeds. This Mm -hmm. is God's plan. This is creation Hmm. to keep the ground covered. What happens when these beans grow and canopy the ground, shade the ground? End of your weed problem. End of your hoeing. Hmm. Keith, you said uh, yesterday when we were talking, you compared two different harvests you had, one in in two very hard years. I remember one was 2012 and the earlier one I forget. But can you you talk a little bit about that, about the... uh, In uh, northern Indiana and Ohio, 1988 was very hot and very dry. Uh, The temperatures were over 100 for several days. We had, in 88, the last beans I planted, I spilled some of the soybeans on the soil. And that was June 19th, and we had a rain. Those beans germinated. We had no more rain until July 14 and 16 through that period. Then we had three inches. Hmm. So my crops went a long time before water. And at that time, I was young and foolish, and I did plowing and tillage. Uh, I had very poor crops. I paid my bills. Uh, The best yield of corn I had was 70 bushel hmm. and that was in a sod field that I we had plowed under which had a healthy healthy soil 2012 I was in the no-till for many years by that time and that year was very similar I kept records of the hmm. rainfall and what I did those days through the period of time both years in 2012 we had our rain a little later uh, more towards the end of July, and again, heavy rain. And I was no-till. I had the soil covered, so the soil was actually cooler hmm. when the hot sun came on that dry soil. Plant roots will start to shut down at a, corn roots a little over 85 degrees. Your soil biology and your plant roots start to shut down. So it's very desirable to have the soil covered at that time now, some farmers think you want bare soil in the spring to warm up earlier. Uh, that may well be, but you need to keep both temperatures in mind. Bare soil can really help you. But you had a, you had a really good year in 2012, I think, right, is what you said. Yeah. It, despite the 2012, fact. I had decent crops. I had above the state average yield, yeah. and it was our best financial year mm. ever that my wife and I ever had. On farming, and before that was because we, the soil before, was healthy. We, hey, go ahead, Mark. Go ahead. Uh, before we close, I want to just say, I've 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 been to Keith with a lot of soils meetings, and I always wonder why don't other farmers do no-till? Because I don't think a very high percentage do. They still plow, and the answer, a lot of them, you hear this, 
I know it's true, is they don't like the untidiness of it. Mm. They like this. The fields plowed look mm. tidy at the end of the fall. The next year, the corn comes up. If you go out to Keith's farm, he's planting beans be- between the rows of last year's corn. In the beginning, it looks kind of stubbly. And I think there's a real spiritual lesson here. We shouldn't pay so much attention to a tidy, perfect Christian life. We should pay attention to the health of the soil. <laughs> you know, the book of Proverbs says, where no oxen are, the major is clean, the stable is clean, really. So <laughs> uh, That's exactly right. There you go. The uh, uh, I was going to, just about those two years, Keith, I just, the, the soil produced, because, produced something because it was healthy, because those roots were there. And so I just really appreciate yes. that. It's a good example. Yes, we, it we, gave more yeah. resilience yeah. to the drought. And we can make our right. Christian life that way, too. Amen. Allow our hearts to be open. Right. So that we have have more resilience, and right. um, I think that's a, a good point. There's weeds that weeds that come in our Christian life. Yeah. You know, maybe we uh, involved, um, yeah, uh, and things we shouldn't be. You know, uh, yes. Uh, uh, maybe we need to change occupation or different friends. Amen, Keith. That's a good point to end on. Uh, appreciate that. So, there's a lot more we could say, but to, just to try to draw some lessons to this. But thank you, brother, so much for being with us. I think there's some good good lessons there. Praise the Lord. So we'll. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Grace to you, brothers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. You've been listening to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. You can visit us online at our website, thechristianfaith.org. And if you have comments or questions, send us an email at questions at thechristianfaith.org. And to listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website under the Media tab or directly on iTunes or Spotify.